You see people that once are hot for God, then they cool off, and then they get hot, they backslide, they come back. But what God is calling for us to do is for a consistency to execute it exactly the way God wants it done. And so the challenge for us as we dedicate this building next week, as we dedicate our lives, is to get a hold of what God wants. Now, David's development is quite interesting. He's, he's interesting from the fact that in the entire Bible, there's more scripture about him than anyone else. Think about it. 66 chapters are specifically designated about King David. That has to tell you that there were some things in how he lived his life and how he ruled that we need to learn from. Also, there were some negative things about him, too. You know, there's some of the things that he did were to put him on the uh, front page of, of uh, the gossip magazines. He might have even made uh, uh, the evening news with some of the things that he did. But by and large, he was an interesting, committed man of God. So we, we, we think of this back and forth stuff about Israel. It's interesting to note that God never really wanted the people to have a king. How many knew that? If you didn't know it, you know it now. Because ultimately, the scripture tells us that God was to be our king and to be our ruler. And then, as you study what the scripture has to say, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to see some things I think that will help you to understand this whole thing and how it applies to us today. Is there any way to get any more light up here? Can we get some of these lights on? Do they work? You see, when you get old, your eyes get, ah, you get, uh, and, and, and as you study this, you, you, you need to understand God's way of doing things. And, and I want to just challenge you, if you're taking notes, write it down, 1 Samuel chapter 8. I'm just going to paraphrase it quickly to, to uh, give us time here. All around the nation of Israel, as they were backsliding back and forth, the other nations had kings. And so the people went to Samuel. Now, Samuel was a prophet. God had always intended to speak to his people through a prophet. Samuel was the prophet. He was the one that would come and speak the word to, to the people. But in their backsliding, they looked around and they thought, well, we want to do it like the Philistines do it. We want to do it like those other people do it. And, and so finally God says to Samuel, all right, I've had it. They're, they're rejecting the way I want to do it, so I'm just going to let them do it their way. This is that free choice. And there was a, there was a guy named Saul. Tall, handsome, charisma. People were drawn to him. So you know what? God said to, to the people, he said, all right, that's who you want. That's who I'll pick you. And so Samuel, born and anointing. And the interesting thing Samuel was, too, there was a problem there because he was just trying to work serving God. In fact, the Bible says that his son backslid and, and did corrupt things. So he said, all right, go get him. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to be not good. And as you read 1 Samuel chapter 8, you'll find out that God told him in advance the kind of problems they were going to have because they were going to do it their way. And I will tell you today, we are seeing a product in America and around the world when the church moves away from doing it God's way, the chaos that follows. I have to tell you, I, 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 re- I read a letter yesterday that uh, I think the Rahman would know from the bishop of the Catholic Diocese here in Green Bay. And that bishop said about 
what the administration is doing relative to forcing all of us to have the kind of health care that will be deemed workable for all kinds of society. And he took a real tremendous stand. And I applaud him for that. I, I'm going to pull that this chance to give you a few more minutes. So as a minister of the gospel, I'm proud of you because you're standing. Because we are in the mess that we are in today because no one has stood up. We vote our pocketbooks. We don't vote godly principles. I was listening this morning. Oh, I'm online again. How did that happen? And I want to tell you, some of you are here, Pastor Ralph, so I blog about this, talked about it. The, uh, because Paul attacked high points and didn't deliver stuff to Paul in America, they're being attacked by blogs. Let me tell you, the Bible says all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Bible also tells us when we don't do it God's way, we've got trouble. Now, concerning this outcast situation, live my faithfulness, execute my judgments, I would not. But because of the mess things in, they get Saul in prison. And he looks very different. He looked like a right thing to do. And, and he spent his whole life in dread. We find out that he was suicidal. He was lonely. And that led to the fact that he was an everyday person, not like the outcast that we talked about. And I want to challenge you today, as we think about taking his representative from prison to the glory of God so that we can say, you guys were crucified by this gospel that comes preaching to you like that's going to work. Because it just didn't work for the man. He failed the pastor. He went to Pastor Rick Duncan and Faith Duncan. And said, I think this is a great thing. I have a Bible. My Bible says God gave us the Bible. And I think this is a wonderful opportunity. I think I'll use this this week to really teach my son about this. And he said, Dad, you're right. You should have done that. But you chose to execute.
And we're going to do it God's way. We're going to make spiritual decisions. Listen to 2 Chronicles 16, uh, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So God is looking for that kind of body of people. He's searching. He's looking to and fro for people who will make that decision to do it in a spiritual way. Hearts that are completely His. Hearts that are are tuned in to His Word. Hearts that are saying, God, this is the way we're going to do it. And I want to tell you what, we need a revival of that in America. We need a revival of that in the churches. Hearts turned after God. What kind of heart after God? A heart that says, you know what, I want to see people come to Jesus. Hearts that are aware of what's going on around them. I'm, I'm working, and I should be finished probably in about another six weeks on a new book called Aware. It's very, very exciting. And, and if the body of Christ would just be aware, aware of what your kids are facing, aware of what you're facing on the job, aware of what you're facing in your neighborhood, aware of what's going on in the political realm, just being aware, aware when, aware when people are hurting, when people are just, man, they're going through tough times that you can be sensitive and be spiritual. See, people are looking for spiritual people. You know, there's something very attractive. As I sweep back over the, the, the decades of serving Christ, in my first encounter with, with truly born-again spiritual people, they did not live and do the things that I was doing as a young person. But there was something attractive. There was a charisma 
And I'm not talking about the kind that the Bible talks about Saul. It, it, it really does. He was tall and he was impressive and, and all of those characteristics. But no, that isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about a charisma that comes from the grace of God, that comes from spirituality. I had the misfortune of attending the only game that the Packers lost this year. We have a guy in, in the church in Salt Lake from Kansas City and big Kansas City Chiefs fan, and uh, his, uh, he's got three sons. His middle son, Ben, is a Packer fan. The rest of them are uh, Chiefs fans. In fact, that's how they came into our church. His, his, his son was fighting him, didn't want to go to church, and, and they're godly people, and they found this new little church. And uh, after the first service, Ben was there. It was, like, I think, our second service as a church. On the way home, he told his parents, I'll go to that church. And so that's how their family came into the church, and we got some tickets uh, from, for the Kansas City game. We flew to Kansas City. And my son always tells me, Dad, you talk too much. Yeah, you talk to everybody. Well, I did. And so uh, I was getting off the plane, and, and I just talked to a guy. And his name is Mike, and he had a Boise State sweatshirt on. And I just said to him, well, it's too bad they didn't get a, a, a BCS Bowl game. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm going to the game. I live in Salt Lake, but I'm Kansas City fan, and we chatted a little bit. I said, well, you guys are going to lose. Sad to say, on the flight back, and there's a lot of flights, he happened to be on the same flight. So we talked a little bit more, and of course, he was pretty happy, and, and of course, so was Mike and two of his sons, and Ben and Chad and I were a little depressed. In fact, Chad had made a wager with a Mike that if the Chiefs won, that he would preach in a Kansas City jersey. So he had to preach in his Kansas City jersey. So, But anyhow, uh, get back to town, but I was aware that there was something in this guy, you know, and and, he, and, and we just had just this little on the airplane, to the airplane chat. We get back to Salt Lake, Chad gets a call from one of the counselors in the church, and there was someone else had been counseling this man, and they passed him off to him. His mother had died in Phoenix, and he had, she hadn't been a good mom, and uh, he, said, he said, but I want to have a funeral for her. She, she had been cremated, and they had the ashes, and he said, well, I'll call my pastor. So she called Pastor Chad, and Chad said, yeah, I'll do that Thursday night. And all it was was the husband, the wife, and their two kids. And uh, <clears throat> so I happened to be over to church that evening doing some things, and it was uh, about, five after, about five to six, I walked out into the foyer, and guess who the man was that his mom was having a funeral for? It was the guy that I talked to on the phone. He throws his hands up and said, man, there's something here. There's something about you guys. I don't understand it. He came to church that Sunday with his wife, Jan. Jan is married well. And, uh, and they all got saved. It's just because, and, and he usually said to me, he said, even when I met you, there was something about you. I couldn't figure what it was. And what that is, it's God's charismatic charisma when you're aware of what's going on around you. And spirituality is like that. Spirituality will make you aware. Spirituality, our kids used to, Jan really has, and women have uh, uh, an awareness probably more intense than men. I'm putting that in the book. It hurts me, but I'm willing to do it. But it, it, it's like, for example, it's, it's for example, even with our kids would say, we can't seem to pull anything over on mom. She's always got it figured out. Well, what do you think that is? That's a gift that God will give to spiritual women and spiritual men. And so in David, what God saw in him as he was working, tending the sheep, he saw spirituality. 
And that's what the world needs today. It needs to see people like you going to school, into the workplace, into the retirement center, wherever you are, a spirituality and a God-given charisma. See, even though that word has taken on the sense of, of a lot of other things, it really originates biblically, and it's called being grace-gifted. So the first quality is spirituality. second quality God saw in David was humility. 1 Samuel 16, 1 says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Saul had backslidden, and he said, How long will you mourn for him, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Now, so he, okay. Now Saul is still ruling, ruling, but he's ruining things. <laughs> Saul is ru- ruling, but it's, it's going bad. The Philistines are giving him trouble. He's nervous. He's upset. He's not a good leader, even though the people thought he would be. You know, when you judge things by the world's standards, many, many times you will find that you have made a poor judgment. You see, God was looking for, and, he, and he's, as he was looking, he looked at, at Jesse's household, and he saw all those boys... But he saw this kid, this young, ruddy-faced, red-haired, blue-eyed kid out tending the sheep. And here he was, out there, but he was humble. So he goes and sees all of these things in the house. And he said, that's my man. That's who I want to use. Let's look at Psalms really quickly once. Chapter 72, 78, excuse me. Got more light now. Verse 71, let's start at verse 70. He also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfold. Let me just tell you something about the sheepfold. Shepherds in the Israeli segment of where you would be placed is very low. All right? I mean, the shepherds, you know, they hung out with the sheep. They smelt like sheep. They they just, they, they were not your uh, upper echelon people. But see, here's the thing. Didn't it say in Corinthians that God chooses the foolish things to found the wise? He says, he also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds from following the ewes that had young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. So here we see God saying, I took him from that place and moved him here. Here's what God wants to do. He's always in the process of taking us and moving us to the next level. And see, that's called the process of making us more like Christ or sanctification. See, we see all of these things come together, but that's humble beginnings. That's a humble startup. He didn't go into the finest place with the with the richest, most fantastic homes to find this king. He went and found him right there. And God used him. David kept the sheep. 
You see, where you are right now, if you do the best that you can, God sees that. If you look at everything you do, if you're ushering, I, we drove up today and my brother Jerry's out there shaking hands and high-fiving kids and, and it doesn't matter what your role is. And that's as important as the preaching and the singing. Whatever you do, do it with a spirit of humility unto the Lord. And then we see mentioned in this verse, the third quality that David had, that was integrity. Integrity. What is integrity? There's a lot of words that we find about integrity. Uh, some synonyms for it, integrity are complete, whole, innocent, wholesome, sound, unimpaired. And my favorite one about integrity is without wax. Did you have your mother say, get that wax out of your ear? Sometimes the animals say to me, man, when's the last time you cleaned your ears? You know, it looks like bees could land in there. Like, oh, without wax. So if I clean my ears, I have integrity, right? What it really means is this. In those time periods, the hucksters would take broken vessels and they would fill the cracks with wax. Then they would repaint them or, or finish them off and then would put them in a darkened space or not a well-lit space and sell these items as if they were the real thing. And they looked good in an environment where you really couldn't see. And, and the, the flow of without wax means that when you take that item and you place it in the sunshine, you can immediately see the cracks filled with wax. Think about this for a moment. When you are lifted up in the sunshine of God's grace, you see, God knows what you think. God knows what you do when no one's looking. God knows all of these things. And you can hide it from your wife, maybe. You can hide it from your church. You can hide it all over the place. But when you are put up and you are examined in the sunlight of God's word and what God is looking for, he will see the cracks that you've stuffed full of the wax of compromise and, and, and all of the crazy stuff you're doing behind the scene. See, God is looking for the original article. Integrity. Integrity, having that strong quality called integrity. And I want, I want to tell you right now, one day we're all going to stand before God. And you know what? God's not going to say, man, Arnie, over the years, you did this, you did that, you built this, you built that. What he is looking for us, in us, is integrity. And it's going to be shocking to a lot of people who have sold your life out in ways that really don't matter. I have found out that people quickly forget about these things. Are you there? They just move on. They do. That's okay. You see, because so many times we get our fulfillment for what we have done and what we have accomplished. And that in itself isn't terribly bad. But that's not what's going to impress God. What's going to impress God is spirituality, humility, and integrity. And when you stand before him, he, he will say to you, you know what? Come on in. He's not going to care what you drove, where you live, or how many people knew your name. He wants to know that you have lived integrity. And see, God was developing 
David in, in, in that way, as he just simply did those things. So as we, as we sum this up, what do we find out about David that we can learn? God taught him in solitude. That's the first thing as we close. In solitude. I'm just, I'm just telling you that makes you feel good. I do have five or six minutes left. Solitude. You know, really, in solitude is where God will build your character. It's those times on the backside of the desert. It's, it's, it's when you really just have to know that it's just you and God. See, David didn't have a group of people applauding him for the kind of shepherd he was. I mean, when the lion and the bear came at him and were wanting to destroy his flock, and supernaturally, with his bare hands, he was able to kill a lion and a bear. There wasn't a big applause. It wasn't on Fox News. It wasn't on the ABC Evening News. Shepherd in Bethlehem, red hair, blue eyes, ripped a lion apart with his bare hands, right? No, but God was teaching him some lessons there. Some of the greatest lessons I have learned is in that, in that place of solitude. So God trained him in solitude. Secondly, David grew up in solitude. Servant leaders, unknown, unseen, underappreciated, underapplauded, but still do it. God's way. I'm going to tell you right now, at the mouth of the slide here, hello, there's a slide, down the basement, right, down to the education. There are people that are doing things, are being developed and trained. Salt Lake Chad has five young interns now, and man, they work and they do all kinds of stuff, and and they don't get a lot of acclaim from the pulpit or, all, or around, but they're being developed. And God is developing something, I believe, in the people here and that it's going to be so special. And then I also see that David learned in monotony. You know, a lot of life is doing the same things over and over again. Every once in a while, my wife will give me this uh, verbiage. All I do is wash, clean, Wash, clean, cook. I mean, right? Have you heard it? And, and, and maybe you work in a, in, in a factory environment and all you do is push the same buttons, load the same pallet, or you work in an office environment and, and you do the same things, and maybe you're in a sales, but it's just monotony, 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 monotony. But see, when you learn through how it works, doing it over and over again, and doing it to the best of your ability, there is greatness coming. And I think God wants to raise up servant leaders and bring them to the forefront like he did with David. You see, you have a new building now. And you should be so excited for what God has done. And you should, you should now say, you know what? I represent Life Church, and, and I'm going to do my monotonous tasks the best that I can do them. What's happened in the world? We get upset. We just do enough to get by. God says, do it and do it unto my glory. And I want to tell you, there's going to be a lot of women who have washed, cleaned, and cooked and took care of families 
and got them up for breakfast and made sure they did their schoolwork and all of those monotonous things. And they've turned out greatness in their family because they've done it God's way. They've stood on the principles of God and, and done it God's way. And I think when they get to heaven, some of them might be in the front of the reward line, ahead of the mainliners, ahead of the Billy Grahams and the, and the evangelists and all of these things because they were able to say, this is the task that God has given me. Then I also find out about David that that training showed him reality. In 1 Samuel 17, you can read the whole chapter. Now, David is with Saul, the people's choice, the one that God didn't really want to have, but the people said that looked the way it should be. I'm telling you what, sometimes the thing that doesn't look right becomes the very right thing. In my case, <laughs> when I gave my life to Christ at age 20 and found Jan, she had been raised in a church like this with godly principles. And uh, we were raised, to the best of my parents' ability, in, in a church that brought us to a point but didn't bring us the rest of the way. And so I came out of, you know, the cruising, boozing teenage years, gave my life to Christ, spotted my girlfriend cut me loose that I was dating during that season of my life, and then I spot Jan in the choir at the church where I'm attending. I'm new at this music stuff. But she looked pretty good. She still looks pretty good, you know? All the trips around the sun have not been that hard on her. And, uh, and so uh, I started dating her, and uh, my mother-in-law took me under her wing and began to disciple me. I would go to pick her up we would go on a date or something, and we'd end up sitting there an hour or two, and uh, Alice and I in the Word, and Jan's just waiting like this, you know. But then there's my father-in-law, Carl. And, and Carl thought, man, I, I thought Jan was, you know, we raised her. She went to Bible college. I thought she was going to go into a full-time ministry. And what's this guy going to do? You know what I mean? In fact, he told her one time, three months into it, he said, you know, Jan, you can do better than that. Yeah, it's true. Maybe some of you heard that story before. And, you know, I, I, uh, I didn't understand it at the time, but I understand it now. But you see, God had a plan. And you fast forward that thing. And it wasn't very long that, that, that Carl realized, yeah, you know, Arnie's the real deal. Yeah, Arnie's going to be okay. And then at the last part of his life, many of you that were that know us, Carl was lived in our home after my mother-in-law passed away. I mean, I would go on a trip and he would say, Jan, when's Arnie coming home? This guy that he didn't think maybe fit the bill, right? But you see, as you're being developed by God, you can become what people didn't think you could become. And you can take that every level of your life. You can become a better worker. Even if you're a good worker, you can become better. Joe Simon's doing a great thing called Great to Greater. You see, great, is that what it is? I always get it. Greatest. Great to greatest. You see, God wants to make you the greatest. He's not just happy with great. He's not happy with mediocrity. He's not happy with you living some of the Bible. Well, if I bring my family to church... I let my wife lead the way, and you know, I'll give a couple bucks once in a while, maybe reluctantly. Or I'll come to church, and I'll tithe, and I'll do all the things, but I just do enough to get by at work. Or I'll just do enough to get by with my family. That's not, that's not right. God wants us to be the greatest. What happened to David? 
All of a sudden, Samuel now comes with his horn full of oil. And he comes to the house of Jesse. And Jesse lines up his boy, the oldest. And he's gone. Man, he's, I can just see him saying, oh, man, I'm so excited. One of my boys, God's chosen one of my boys. Samuel said, God told me to come here. And one of your boys is going to be the king. I've been watching him. He's going to be the king. Can you just imagine the dad? Oh, I knew it all along. Straightens his robe. And, and so it's interesting. The one God chose wasn't even invited to the anointing party. Didn't even, you know, Jesse didn't say, hey, uh, go get your little brother out there. You know, the red-headed, ruddy-faced little kid that's taking care of the sheep. See, because his dad didn't even see in him what God saw in him. You see, we got to see the way God sees. So he goes down the line. He's not feeling that charismatic anointing on any of these boys. And now it's like, oh, man, God just rearranged. So just as a last-ditch effort, he says, uh, hey, Jesse, got any other kids? Got any other boys? Well, yeah, we got this young one who's watching the sheep. Okay. So go get him. I can just see him sending him out. He says to one of them, Run him through the shower before you bring him in. I mean, he's been hanging out with the sheep. And so the youngster comes in. And the Spirit of God comes on Samuel. He dumps the oil on him. And all of the stuff that happened in his life, developing his spirituality, his humility, the solitude of being out in the desert with the sheep, sensing how God was preparing him and taking care of sheep. And by the way, even in the New Testament, we're referred to as sheep. We do shout with our hope. Okay there? And, and so he was being prepared in that environment to be what God wanted him to be over here. See, that's what church is all about. We're preparing you to be the best worker, the best student, the best mom and dad, right? Turning out kids that will be the greatest and then we all know the story. It's great. All the study on this. I want, I want you to think about this for a moment. This giant, he would have been an NBA player. He would have been bigger than the biggest. He would have been a center. His name was Goliath. And Philist, the Philistines had surrounded Saul's army, and they were just taunt, this this giant was taunting them. And Dad. Even though he's anointed, wasn't his time yet, sends him out to give his brothers some stuff. And this little shepherd boy that had been anointed had something on him, stands as he brings the food to his brothers, maybe some special stuff mom had cooked. And this giant walks out and begins to taunt God's people. You see, I want to tell you what, there is a taunting going on church of Jesus Christ. There's a taunting going on to you as parents and leaders. And they're shouting at you, you are nothing. We're going to squish you. We're going to humble you. But we need some young men and some young women. And there was David as he dropped the food baskets and looked at this big giant said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who can make and mock God's people? And his brothers looked at him, who are you, you little squirt? 
You just think because you got some oil poured on you, you can take that guy? And then, and then even Saul said, well, who are you? And he was looking for someone with some guts. He said, well, here's my armor. Armor didn't fit. And that's when he said, how can you, how, Saul said, how can you do this? He says, when I was taking care of the sheep, a lion and a bear came, and I tore them apart. God gave me power to do that. I could take this guy, too. And so you know the rest of the story. He took his five little stones and his slingshot and went right out. between the lookers, dropped him. Didn't kill him right away. Knocked him unconscious. He went over, took his sword. He could hardly hold it. Chopped off his head. Popped it. Took it back to here. You see, here's what I believe today. Here's what I believe today. If we really are truly God's people, there is no giant that can stop us. There is no force at school. We can, we can hold our kids safely in our hands. Now, my kids aren't perfect, just like David wasn't perfect before shaving his head. Chad's preaching three times to those kitty kids. And people are coming, and it's growing, and, and, and Brooke is working, and, and they're serving God. And they're standing up against a giant in, in, a, in a religious society in Utah that's created a religious state in another country right in the United States of America. But they're saying, we can get the giant back. And you know what I'm telling you today? You can get the giant if you do it God's way. See, he's asking. They're looking everywhere. They're looking for people that aren't just going to come to church, but are going to strategize this week. Who can I share Christ with? How can I be better at work? How can I be better in school? How can I be a better parent? It's time. It's time. Stand up. I close with this simply. I really believe, and this is, this is interesting because I believe my greatest days are yet ahead. I'm not pastoring anymore. But God has, has brought me to a new level of doing things I never thought I would do. And whatever time I have left, I really believe it's now time that God's going to use me in a new and a greater way. Not for my glory, but for His glory. What about you? Are you doing it God's way? Going back to that verse I read when I kicked it off. Now, Solomon, you're going to build this temple. And I want you to walk in integrity. But I want you to follow all of my commandments. I want you to execute judgments. What about you today? Is that where you're living? Heads about eyes are closed. No one's looking around. First of all, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you need to give your life to him. Is there someone say, you know, Pastor Ari, I'm not sure if I, if I die today, I'd go to heaven. Is there someone in here that say that? Raise your hand. Then everybody is sure. That's great. But, you know, next week, why don't you bring some of your neighbors so when Pastor Ryan gets to this point in the service, there'd be a bunch of them raise their hands or lead them to Christ before they get here. Secondarily, how many would you say, you know what, Pastor Ryan, I realize I'm not doing all that I could do. I'm not living all the commandments. I'm not executing all the judgments. I'm doing it, a lot of it, but I'm not doing it all, and I want to do it all. Put your hand up right now. So, Lord, our hands are raised to say that we got a ways to go. So help us, Lord, go all the way, be the best that we can be. And, Lord, we're not going to look to the left or the right to how the world's doing it, but we're going to do it your way. Now take us from this place. Bring us back next week excited about dedicating a place, but more than that, dedicating ourselves to be holy and righteous. God bless you. Have a great day. Good to see you again.